All right, 20 seconds. So. Uh, all right, glad you're here, uh, especially for a holiday weekend. Glad you chose to stick around. I know we've got many who uh, chose to go, and uh, certainly many that are in town for the, the holiday as well. We're going to be in Revelation 14, so you get your Bibles there, Revelation chapter 14. We're in the middle of that chapter. We probably need to do a little bit of a of a reminder and a, and, a, and a recap. So I guess here's the question. Should Do you think you guys can do the recap from chapters 13 and 14 so far? You feel... <laughs> well, at least that was honest. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. I did, I did say there was a test at the end of this, right? <laughs> All right, so let's let's do a little bit of recap. In chapter 12, you see the dragon, Satan. He is... Uh, attempting to war against the people of God because he's been unsuccessful in destroying Christ, unsuccessful in destroying the woman Israel. And so all that he has left to do is to go make war on God's people. You see how he's going to do that in chapter 13. He is raising this beast that comes up out of the sea and another one comes up out of the land in chapter 13. We noted that one of the few areas of Revelation where There is agreement is in chapter 13 that the beast is the Roman Empire because it connects to Daniel 7 and to Daniel 2 and to Daniel 9 and to Daniel 12. You see those pictures there. So you have the Roman Empire as the tool that God is going to use, not God, Satan is going to use to attack the people of God. Uh, That's what's described in, in chapter 13. You might remember also in chapter 13, the means of persecution that's going to happen. Do you remember that? How's it going to go down? <laughs> we didn't even turn our clocks forward. You know, we're okay. <laughs> like what? <laughs> so what is the means of persecution? What in chapter 13 was saying was going to happen that was going to make it difficult for the people of God? Okay, one at a time, one at a time. <laughs> okay, well, they would be taken captive, yeah. Okay. All right, there was this mark of the beast imagery. Those uh, who don't have the mark of the beast, those who are not worshiping the beast, they're going to be unable to buy and sell in the marketplace. We talked about the interconnection of, of that culture and that world where you have religion and social and political and economic all tied together in, into one And so you have imperial worship, you have pagan worship, there's idolatrous worship, all that is going on. And so there is a a contrast that's being driven at in chapters 13 and 14. Chapter 13 is here are the people who are worshiping the beast, who have the mark of his image. They are devoting themselves to the Roman Empire, to the pagan worship, to the idolatry. Chapter 14, we see the 144,000. Where are they? They're in heaven, all right? And what's the the meaning of the symbols? Because you have that they are uh, virgins who are undefiled and what, what, they're pure. Okay, so that's what you see in chapter 14 with this 144,000 number. We saw them back in chapter 7. Uh, they are pictured as the servants of God. And notice that they are the ones uh, that tells us there in, in chapter 14, they have not... Uh, uh, been able or not been wanting to worship the beast rather they follow the lamb where, wherever he wherever he goes 
So that's a lot of the picture of what's going on is you have two groups of people, those who are going to remain pure toward God and they're going to worship God and those who are going to be astounded by the beast and they're going to worship the beast and they're engaging in all of that idolatrous and pagan worship. Uh, Vicky, did you have something before there? Okay. All right. Sounds good. I missed the, the part about, um, and they were speaking because I was going, but I wanted to know, so with the, um, the labeling of the people with the mark of the beast, I don't believe they have the label, but am I correct? They, there is no true mark, it's just um, Exactly. Exactly. Um, and that having to do with the not being able to purchase, and it says in there to just be patient, this is where we would grow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, that—that's right. To remember that so much of this is 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 symbolism, and uh, the the grand warning that I'll remind us of at the very beginning that you can't come into the book and pick and choose when you want something to no longer be a symbol because you're going to run yourself into trouble. So, like the hundred and forty-four thousand, they try to then turn around and make that an actual number of people, but the description's going to. Be trouble for you because then that would only be male virgin Jews who are the 144,000. So you've got to be able to stay in the symbols uh, as you move through. The, the the mark and the ceiling is another good one where that's been used, uh, particularly for those who are have a futurist point of view that one day we're all going to have transmitters in our necks. And when that's done and we have these numbers implanted into us, that's going to be... Uh, the chaos of the end of the world. That's not what this is talking about, nor would anybody in the first century have any kind of concept of something like that. It has to be something that would make sense to the original audience. So if we start having helicopters and transmitters and computers and twin towers and whatever, it's just not, it's not going to work for them. Okay. So you got to stay with what their framework uh, would have been. And then we noted that we're starting this beginning of proclamations of, of judgment in chapter 14, verses, verses 6 and 7. Proclamation of the gospel, the big warning, judgment is coming. You need to fear God. You need to worship him and give him glory. That's what verse 7 says on the warning of verse 8. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. Now, we've talked about this last week. Babylon had already fallen a long, long time ago. So what in the world is this saying? Rome, why do we think that? Okay, we can certainly go to First Peter 5, right? She who is in Babylon greets you, that Babylon would carry that symbol. Babylon symbolizes the evil world empire of the time. You, you see that used that way. And if you're standing in the first century, who's the world empire at that time? It's the, the Roman empire is, is the one standing at that time. And that would make sense because that fits chapter 13. Who's the beast that's come out of the sea? This is the the Roman Empire. So same idea being given there. Verses 9 through 12. This is probably one of the more terrifying parts of the book, but it's come up a few times and worth uh, tracing over again is that here is the picture of eternal judgment on those who worship the beast and worship its, its image. That's what... Uh, verses 9 through 11 say, and then you have verse 12. This calls for the endurance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And then verse 13, then I heard from heaven, a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, they will rest from their labor since their works 
follow them. We've seen these pictures in the book of Revelation on a number of occasions where it's it's God saying, to be faithful to me is going to mean you're going to die. And thus a call for the endurance of the saints. You saw that back in chapter 6. The saints are under the altar crying out how long until there is vengeance. And God's answer was until the rest of your fellow brethren are killed for the cause of Christ. You see a similar uh, picture here is that the the faithful, the 144,000 that have been sealed are in heaven. They're dead. They've died for the cause of Christ. Uh, And so that's only being underscored here that more is going to happen in regards to that. In fact, if you go back to verse four, and then we'll, that'll be the end of our summary. Back in verse four, these in of the 144,000 are called the first fruits. We talked about that. They're the first of many who are going to die for Christ, but are pictured as with God. All right. Is everybody good from last week? What we've traced so far, so far, so good. You could have done that, right? That was easy. Yeah, totally. Good. See, Vicky's got it. Just, just ask her. She's got it. All right. Chapter 14, verse, verse. Uh, well, wait a minute. I, 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 since this is, you know, PowerPoint linear, all that, let's get, let's get to where, where we're at on here with that. All right. Verse 14. Uh, then I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like the son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put your sickle, put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. And then another angel came out of the temple of heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has the authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice of the one who had a sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. All right, so this is a, a curious section that we, we, we move into here. Let's get the basic framework of what we're seeing and then maybe we can uh, apply some messages and, and ideas to what was, is being described. But just kind of give me a general summary picture. What is just described going on from verse 14 to verse 20? And we can kind of then work our way down to what did all that mean, Charlotte? Okay. Daniel 7, when it speaks of the Son of Man coming for the Right. No, that's a version choice. In fact, mine has it in lowercase here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just a translator option since, uh, especially in Greek, you didn't have capital letters. You just ran them across without punctuation, spacing, or capitalization for the longest time. So you don't have that. So you have to determine if you want to capitalize uh, or not. So I think that they're very comfortable in your translation of seeing that as being Christ, and so they capitalized it. But. But that's a decision. Uh, 
All right, where was I? Uh, Debbie. <laughs> Okay, so what makes you see a separation of righteous and unrighteous in this? What, what draws you that way? Well, the first, the first gathering is Christ. Okay. And I'm not sure why I thought that. I know the second one I thought sounded like damnation. Okay, so I think you're already setting up a, a useful framework is... If we've got one like the Son of Man in, in verse 14, maybe this is something that is not so bad. Versus when you read verses 17 through 20, uh, it's pretty hard to read verses 19 and 20 and think that sounds good. <laughs> that doesn't sound good. We've got blood flowing out of the city up to the, the neck of a, of a horse. You're going... I don't think I want to be a part of that. That sounds really, really bad. So I think there's reason to go. There could be a good and a bad judging that's that's going on here. Well, there's two endings, too, because it talks about the grapes that ripen in God's vineyard and the grapes that ripen in the first Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that can be tricky when you when you look at this is uh, when you read verses 15 and 16, you have this sickle and it says that this sickle sweeps across the earth and the earth was reaped. And so your initial thought would be, well, that got them all right if it went across and swept the earth. But then you keep reading and then you, in verse 18, there's a picture of doing it again. So verse 19, the angel swung a sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest. So seems like there's two events happening where angels are, are harvesting the earth and you're getting two different outcomes from, from, from that. All right, Julie? Um, so I thought um, similarly, and at the end of verse 15, it says, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the earth, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So I thought that was the beginning of the saints, actually. And then in 19, um, Yeah, yeah, and you see that that language there that certainly seems to confirm that that uh, we are we are picturing uh, the the verse nineteen threw it in the great wine press of the wrath of God. So yeah, that really can't be good. Uh, don't want to be a part of that one. So yeah, as you kind of read over it, you're you're kind of filtering through the imagery here and getting okay this. This, this certainly ends bad, so that's got to be a, a, a negative judgment of some kind going on. And yet, there's also imagery of a, of a, a positive judgment. Uh, just as a, as a way of uh, connecting, we, I have on the, on the bottom of your screen this casting the wine press of God's wrath. That's not the first time God has used that, and, and it's kind of not the last time either. We'll see Christ uh, riding in with blood splattered uh, horse in chapter 19. Uh, but in Isaiah 63, you have the same idea of judgment of who is this who's coming in, uh, who's tread the wine press and, and his garments are all red like that. And, and notice when you go to verse verse one, it's he's, they're coming from Edom. So there is this using it as a, a, a judgment against a nation. Who is this who comes from Edom? 
and he's got his splendid apparel marching in his strength. It is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. I love the question. Why is your apparel red and your garments like he who treads in the winepress? And he says, I have trod the winepress alone and from the people's No one was with me. I trod them in my anger. I trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all, all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and the year of redemption had come. I looked and there was no one to help. I was appalled. There was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples of my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath and I poured out their lifeblood uh, on the earth. This is imagery that we'll certainly we'll see a lot of in the book of Revelation, that same language of being uh, drunk on the wrath of God and drinking the cup of God's wrath and the, the splattering of blood is all imagery of signifying this judgment that has come uh, against a nation. And so you're seeing the same thing here. So, Let me put it before you then. So if we're seeing two reapings, two sweepings of the sickle here, and the second one certainly is bad. It's the the wine press of God's wrath that is being trampled. And we're in this context of the Roman Empire and the beast fallen, fallen as Babylon. That was just a little bit earlier uh, in, in the chapter. And... Uh, verses 9 through 11 talk about those who worship the beast, they're in eternal torment. But we saw in the first six verses, those who don't worship the beast, they're with God, they're preserved, they're with him. How should we then deal with the back end of this chapter? How would you explain what these two pictures of reapings and sickles are, are doing? <coughs> However you would want to explain it to me. Okay. For the second one? Yeah. For, yeah. It would seem logical that the second one is a continuation of this, this judgment warning. Here is this warning that judgment is ultimately coming. Remember what you saw back in at the beginning here of, of this chapter, chapter 14, verse 6. <clears throat> you have this angel flying overhead with the eternal gospel, and verse 7 gives the warning Fear God and give him glory because his hour, the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth and sea and springs of water. Okay? So I think this is probably the judgment on the road, and when he gathers them up, just because the, com- the context of the Yeah, absolutely. Um, and probably to kind of <clears throat> push that forward a little bit is in, in our studies that we've done in the book of Revelation, have we noticed that when God talks about judgments and collecting his people and things like that, does he only use that when he's talking about the final judgment? No. no. <laughs> he uses that a lot. You can go back to the Old Testament prophets where they're talking like that. You can even see Jesus talking talking like that. That your context has to tell you 
Are we talking about the end or are we talking about like a national judgment that's going to happen? And those who belong with God are pictured as secure and those who do not belong to God are pictured as judged. I think that's the idea here that this isn't any different than John the Baptist coming on the scene and proclaiming to the the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders of the day. Uh, he's going to gather wheat into the barn, but he's going to burn up the chaff. Well, he's talking about a present Jerusalem. You're going to get it judgment if you don't listen to the one who comes after me, who I'm unworthy to stoop down and, and untie his sandals. Same idea here is, all right, there's this judgment that is coming across the, the earth, this, this Roman Empire, and you need to be ready because it's going to either be okay for you or it's not going to be okay for you. And I think that the reapings are signifying that, right? Where it says it's harvested there, uh, in verse 16, would that be the, the reapings of the That or the, you could just even broaden that out to all those who would follow after them. Since it's, it, or the, it's going to be the faithful who are ultimately going to die for the cause of Christ. Uh, and, and chapters 15 and 16 will kind of will lean into that even more. But that's the way I would read verses 14 through 16 is this is after talking about those who have already died for the cause of Christ. They're around the throne. They're described in verse 5. They're the first fruits. They're the ones that have already died for the cause of Christ. Now here's this picture of, all right, more are going to endure that. Are they going to have the same outcome? Are they safe with God? Are they going to receive a eternal reward because they did not worship the beast? Yes. What's going to happen to those who did worship the beast? All right, verses 17 to 20. They're going to be cast into the wine press of God's wrath and they're going to be trampled down. It's not the part that you want to belong to. And so what you see in chapter 14, I think it is very similar to what is happening in the first part of the book that we talked about. That the way God tells this revelation story is he first gives you an overview of how it's all going to play out. And then he kind of dives into the details and goes, okay, now here's what that's all going to look like. And so chapter six of Revelation is a very quick sweep of here's everything that's going to happen. You get to the end of chapter six, city falls, it's done. And then you have chapter seven through 11, which is like, now let me explain more about that. I think chapter 14 is this huge overview, right? Here's the faithful people of God. They're secure and safe. They're reaped. They belong to him. Here are the ones who worship the beast. They're thrown into the wine press, and we're going to start now getting a little bit deeper layers and deeper layers until you get to the end of chapter 17 and chapter 18, where the details really are thick. But right now, big sweeping overview of judgment is coming upon the world, upon the Roman Empire, and this is why you don't want to worship the beast, because you'll be thrown into the wine press of God's wrath. Deputy Chiffin. There is no middle ground. <laughs> and, yeah, and then, then the people who didn't really care. You're either worshiping one or the other. That's one thing that, I mean, it's a, it's a great point that we, we fail to realize. Everybody worships something or somebody. You just got to be honest about it. Uh, you, you, you were created for worship. You were created for devotion. 
And you have to decide what you're worshiping. And as humans, we like to worship ourselves. Uh, We like to make ourselves God and follow whatever we want to do, whatever we think is right and what we think is best. But you worship something. And you're seeing that here is you're either a worshiper of God or you're worshiping something else. And if you worship something else, then then judgment is worthy for those who, who do so. And so that's, I think, what this picture is getting at. Other questions or observations in this, Evan? It gives you an image of the violent nature of what's about to happen. Uh, uh, that's the way I look at what that's doing here is this is not a gentle. And then we walk through and we had our basket and we plucked our grapes and it was so great. It's even for the people of God, this is going to be violent, isn't it? This is going to be harsh and difficult and painful. They're going to die in the process of, of going through this tribulation. So it, it's, it's conjuring that, Julie. And I think that's a message that's hard as 21st century American Christians is we want the message to be if we're faithful to God, nothing physically bad's going to happen. And I want you to see here is if you're faithful to God, something really bad is going to happen to you physically. It's the absolute opposite message. And sometimes we can get really bent and struggle with that of. Well, how can bad things be happening to me when I'm trying to do what's right? And I mean, the Bible is, yeah, get on board. That's everybody who's tried to do what's right. Name one person in scriptures who didn't suffer for doing right. I mean, they all did. But sometimes that's our hard paradigm to deal with is, hey, things are getting really bad as a Christian. That can't be right. No, that is right. That's exactly how things go. And that's what the message is for them here. It's, he, he told them, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. I don't want it to say that. Uh, I want it to say, uh, those who are in the Lord are blessed and don't die. <laughs> but it's, if you die in the Lord, you're blessed. You're willing to lay down your life for the cause of Christ. Hey, something in there? I was just going to say the same thing. That it, it, just like we saw in Yes. Not that he preserves one. It's a judgment on all. Good. And it's just a matter of where you're going. Yeah, it's a good parallel. If you remember back in chapter 6, and particularly chapter 7, we saw the ceiling of, of the people of God. Pictures of 144,000. That ceiling imagery borrows back from the days of Ezekiel. Of Ezekiel has a picture of, of God's people being preserved. 
Uh, did that mean when the Babylonians attacked and conquered Judah and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, none of the faithful people got hurt? Uh, no, actually, who's Daniel? But part of the carnage. Who are the three friends? Part of the difficulty. Who's Ezekiel? Part of the... Of course the people of God were affected. It is describing it as a, a spiritual ceiling. You're safe with God even though you may experience suffering. Vicki? So, um, back to that about, you know, there will be suffering. That is probably one of the biggest things that I've taken from the study is with the beast coming down. It is the earth that is what they are here to do. Is to yep. draw us from it. Right. To make it complicated, to make it difficult. So we don't believe in his glory. So we give up on his faith. That's right. So we give it to them. So it's just, it is assured you will struggle more. That's right. That, oh, absolutely. Satan, one of Satan's attack is to make you miserable so that you'll quit God. That's, that's chapter 13. How am I going to get people to, to get away from God? I am going to use authority and powers to make your life miserable so that you won't want to serve anymore. That's, that's what he's going to use with the Roman Empire. We, we read about what Pliny was asking Trajan and what that looked like of how they're putting Christians in trials already at the end of the first century. It's, it's very difficult. Muriel? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I think uh, this repeated message that we're seeing in Revelation, this this is a call for the endurance of the saints. You have to love that repetition. That's happened two or three times so far in the book, as if to say, you know, it's going to be hard to be a Christian and it's a call for endurance. You know, this is not the the call for the hammock. It is a call for the endurance. It's going to be hard that you're going to have really hard things to be a follower uh, and, and and revelation is certainly uh, depicting that that situation all right yes I think so <laughs> yes oh yeah well again all of this is symbol uh, if you have blood flowing out of a wine press as high as the horse's bridle for 180 miles that's a lot of blood <laughs> uh, is anybody unaffected no you know that's that you think about the imagery and you, you take in those pictures and go what are you trying to show if you saw all that is everybody's affected by this that there's no escaping what this judgment is going to do uh, for those who live at that time you're going to be a part of it there's no getting away from it all right Yes, Debbie. Um, Charlotte and I were both, um, I both saw the same thing independently. That, that when grapes are normally mentioned, it's usually a good thing. Grapevines and all that. Yes and, yes and no, it's both. <laughs> you know, most of the contexts I can think of are where the grapevines are. Sure. Yeah. So you have a physical symbolism when the spies come in and they're carrying, when it takes multiple men to carry grapes back, you're like, yeah, that's kind of crazy how much they were hauling back in. And so, you know, they didn't come back and go, look, here are five grapes. We, it's amazing. I mean, they're hauling stuff back and saying, wow, look at this. 
Uh, you have when, in Solomon's reign, the, the, maybe the figure you're thinking of in Solomon's reign, that everyone sat under his own vine and under his own fig tree, which was a symbol of blessing, prosperity, and peace. Yeah, as, yeah, and Jesus, I'm the new vine, and that was a representation of Israel. So there, there are times where it's positive, but like I showed you there in Isaiah, it can also be bad. And, and you might remember, though Israel's called a vine, you get to Isaiah 5, and Hosea, there's a couple of prophets that do this. You're a wild, degenerate vine. You, 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 you've got nasty grapes, <laughs> and, and you're sour and gross. And you're going to be judged for it. So I, I would I would probably say it's probably more of a half and half on how, how they're used. Well, Joel uses that trampling the grapes and then yep. the wine press and the other righteousness. Yeah. yeah, God likes to say you're the grapes and you're being harvested one way or another. And you're either good grapes or you're going to be trampled out. The, for Rome, all of that prosperity, all of that would have been symbolized in that. And it's a beauty. You think it's tempting. It's crushed its blood. Yes. That's what the image is. It's, these beautiful grapes are being crushed, and all you're getting is blood. Yeah. So that's what they've been all along. Yeah. It's it's not being what it should have been. I think that's a good point. Good point. All right. Ready for chapter 15. Feel good. Quiz coming in 10 minutes. No, just kidding. For our guests, no, there's no quiz. It's okay. All right, chapter 15. Let's, let's look at the, the next picture. Uh, that is given to us. Revelation 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast in its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. <clears throat> and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying... Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you are alone, you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bulls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. All right. If I were to ask a quick summary, if summarize chapter 15. Angels. Our angels. Angels doing what? What's what's coming here? Yeah, we're, we're getting ready for a, a, a judgment. In fact, what does verse 1 say is going to happen uh, with these uh, seven plagues from this, these, uh, these angels? God's wrath is finished. That, that's really important to see in what we're setting up here is that so chapter 14 was kind of big overview. You need to repent. The gospel's pictured as, as going out and calling out, fear God, worship him, because judgments are coming. And you got this picture of there is going to be a reaping. There is going to be a judgment that's going to happen. And now we're seeing the preparation uh, for that, that judgment be, being made. 
Um, I think there's a lot of parallels, and we'll get to see this a little bit more clearly in chapter 16 when we start actually looking at the plagues uh, as they are unfolding against the nation here. But uh, this warning of plagues, I think, is kind of reminds you of what was going on with with Egypt uh, and the Exodus. You, you might remember that that's what Moses is doing is saying, uh, you need to fear God and let the people go or else there's going to be these plagues that are going to, to fall upon you and you're going to suffer seriously. And so you need to need to listen now before it's too late. Uh, and I think you're seeing the same idea here. In fact, if you'll notice verse three, how else are we connecting to the Exodus imagery? We're singing the song of Moses. All right. Well, what's the song of Moses exactly? Yeah. When, when, when were we singing the song of Moses? After conquering, right? So you, you read about it really in two places. You can see it in Exodus 15. You also see a song of Moses in Deuteronomy 22. It's a song of victory. Uh, and, and so notice again, the connections are very strong to uh, the Egyptian plagues that, that would be used here. And so note, notice the, the, the picture then in verse 2. Here is the, the what appears to be a sea of glass mixed with fire. And who are the ones standing around the gla- sea of glass with harps of God in their hands? Who are these? What's that say? What do they do? Those who have conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name. Important question. How did they conquer the beast? They got a militia together and they got... They were faithful, right? That, that's how, how you conquer. That, that's the picture of conquering here is these have overcome because they have not worshipped the beast. They haven't worshipped the image. They have not given their allegiance to, to the beast. They worship God and they follow him. And so you're seeing that picture drawn out here is this this big sign is happening. The wrath of God is going to be poured out with seven plagues. When these seven plagues have been poured out, then the wrath of God is is finished. What we have been awaiting that we've seen from the book of Daniel, these judgments that had been prophesied back in, in Daniel's day are now going to finally be fulfilled. Your first next picture in verse two is around the sea of glass. Here's the people of God who have not submitted. They're pictured as faithful. They have overcome, which I think the conquering image is very powerful because let's, I know it's been a while since we were in Revelation 2 and 3, but to the seven churches of Asia, how did each of them end? To the one who overcomes or conquers, I will give, right? Each of them is given that phrase. Well, here it is. Here's the picture of those who are faithful, those who overcome, those who endure this tribulation and remain faithful to God. They are the ones that are pictured around the throne. Verse 3, they are singing this, the song of the, of the Lamb and the song of Moses. So that is a victory song. Tell me about the song they're saying. What, what's the contents if you were to kind of get your hands around what they're supposed, what they're saying, what they're praising, what they're doing? Praising God. All right, they're praising God for what? Yeah. Your deeds are amazing. Just and true are your ways in verse three. Verse four, 
Who will not glorify your name or fear you because you are holy? In verse 4, all the nations will worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. So there is a call for praising God for his holiness and righteousness, by the way. So if you have time, I hope this week for you, go back and read Exodus 15 and Deuteronomy 32, and they're going to do the same thing. They're, the song of victory is, God, you are holy and worthy of worship because you are righteous. And righteous very much has to do with being faithful to your promises. You've done what you've said. You've carried out your word. You've accomplished what you've promised. So he is faithful. He is righteous. He has done exactly what, what he has promised in, in that. Okay. Yeah. In, in connection with especially your 32 is that God is vengeful as well on those that don't obey. Yeah. But it's funny because there are great imageries from Sodom in that same thing about right. the, the bad grapes of that same thing. But yeah. not only is his right is he righteous in what he does, but he's vengeful on those that don't Yes. So both sides the yeah. same. That's exactly right. And again, think about where we are in terms of the picture. Has the beast been destroyed yet as they sing the song? No. It's, so think about how unique this is that here are the people of God. They are faithful and true. They have conquered the beast because they have not succumbed. And yet what they're all singing is God's faithful and he's going to destroy it, <laughs> which is what you saw in chapter 14, fallen, fallen, past tense. Fallen, fallen is Babylon, not Babylon, will fall, will fall, will fall. But it is this uh, prophetic certainty. Uh, God is already saying uh, the outcome is already determined. This is this is not up in the air of if this nation is going to fall or not. It is pictured already cried out as fallen and the saints around the sea of glass here that are before the throne of God with harps on their hands. They're singing, just and true are your ways, O king of the nations. If you're king of the nations, what are you doing with all the nations? <laughs> Ruling them. You're in charge. You've got power over it. Just and true are your ways because you're enacting your rule over all of these nations. You are exercising your authority and they are praising God, calling him holy because of that. All right. Any questions about that? Yep. I, I love what it says in the Psalms about righteousness, justice, faithfulness, and love. Yes. Are the and, and they're praising and they're praising God for for Him being the the key character of all that. All right. Now verses five through eight are particularly interesting. I only got a couple minutes left, so I can't get into all the gory details. But let's just get the big idea. What is John now looking and and seeing at this point? Yeah, he's got this temple sanctuary and the tent of witness in heaven be, being opened. Why is that significant to what we saw earlier in the book? Remember what we saw before? What's that? Chapter 11. Chapter 11. Mm -hmm. So in chapter 11, we saw a temple that was to be measured and spared, but everything that was outside the temple was to be trampled by the Gentiles for 42 months and destroyed. We connected that to Jesus' words about destruction of Jerusalem, destruction of the temple. But remember, chapter 11 ends 
with looking back into the, the temple of heaven and seeing the Ark of the Covenant there, that here's the reality. That which was physical was just a, a shadow. It's been wiped out and destroyed. The true is in heaven. And here it's being underscored again. John looks and he doesn't see, oh, there's this devastated temple, but rather the temple of God remains in heaven. And what is coming out of this temple? All right. So out of the temple, we have this picture of the golden, these seven bowls of wrath now are going to be revealed. So you can imagine here's the, the temple tabernacle scene of God. The doors are thrown open and here comes these angels and they're all carrying the bowls of wrath with these plagues that are going to be poured out. And there's one final picture. What else are they seeing? And the glory of God is like smoke filling the the temple. You don't see that too often in scriptures, right? When the tabernacle was completed, you saw it, Exodus 40. When the temple was completed by Solomon, uh, you see that. It's around 1 Kings 8 or 9. You you see that, that happen there. Why are we seeing the smoke of God's glory filling and no one can enter it? What are we trying to communicate? All right, so there, there's no stopping this, right? Is This is God himself sending out judgments and nothing else is going to happen until this is accomplished. So here's God's hand at work and judgment flows with this. Well, didn't the, didn't the uh, priest for the Day of Atonement, that's what the, the altar of incense was there for, so that they could make put the fire on the altar, and that smoke would go into the Holy of Holies behind the curtain before the high priest on the Day of Atonement could go in there and do that, this covering of a, that God is there, right? So this is the, the, the very hand of God, and this is why they're praising God. Notice the song is not, you know, we're so glad by certain geopolitical and economic events that the beast is going to fall. God is the reason it's going to fall, is what they're saying. Just and true are your ways, king of the nations. Your way, this is all going to happen. And now you're seeing the visual of it. You look, you look into the temple of God. Smoke is filling. The bull plagues are coming out. God is bringing judgment on the nation. That's why it's going to fall. Charlotte, I'm up to stop. Like people with white men and He sure does. Yeah, no, these are this is angelic kind of imagery, pure imagery that you're seeing there. All right, next week, chapter 16, we'll have to spend some time there, I'm sure. There's a lot of good stuff. But one, one uh, help for you, think about the parallels to the Egyptian plagues. Think about what you see in the Exodus as you hear about these plagues. See if you're seeing some similarities. See if you see some contrast. All right, 15-minute break. Reconvene at 1030 for our next hour of worship. Really appreciate it, everybody. Thank you for your comments.